Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. And I want to give a message this morning called General Joy. Come on, let's say that. General Joy. It's funny because I've been kind of using this phrase recently in parts of my life, and I happened to text the staff, uh, the office staff on Friday or whatever, or Thursday night when I was prepping them for the Friday meeting, and I said, hey, show, show up, come willing, because I make a meet at nine in the morning, and nobody wants to have a meeting at nine in the morning. And so I was like, hey, show up with a smile on your face and excited nature and also just general joy. And one, Emma Klotz, texted me immediately, goes, general joy, I really like that. And I said, that's funny because it's like the title of the sermon this coming week, because I want to talk about what it's like to be a joyous person. If you know me, you know that I have a lot of critiques about the modern church. I have a lot of critiques about the modern world. I have a lot of critiques about uh, the way in which we do things. As an example, a lot of churches spend money in really silly ways, and I think that's kind of a waste. Do you have any idea how much organs cost? Like a lot, right? Like more than your house. Like a lot of money. But of course, we spend money in that way uh, because they're gorgeous instruments, right? And I, listen, I'm a musician. I love it. But that's, that's difficult. Uh, I think most people in the church kind of just want their way of things in the church. They're not necessarily, and I hate to break it to you, but they're not necessarily concerned with your generation. They're just not. And I wrote this on Facebook the other day, and it got a lot of uh, feedback, good feedback, because I don't think churches prioritize young people enough in their churches. And uh, we're kind of in a five-alarm emergency right now with that. Like, more young people in our churches, please, right now. The church influencing more young people right now. That's exactly what we need right now, right now. This This is not like, oh, we'll figure that out next week. And I'm not even being metaphorical here. I'm meaning today, this morning, we need this right now. But we don't do that in our modern church. That's a critique that I have. Uh, I think a lot of churches have become way too cozy with politics, and we've just like clung on to one side or the other. Both sides are guilty of it, so don't point fingers. But we've gotten really cozy with cozying up to politics when I think Jesus was a person of some other road and path and way. And sometimes we struggle with that, so that's a critique I have. The other thing I think about our modern church, and maybe I could say this about our generations, I'm a millennial, you're Gen Z, is that we have a tendency to be super negative, like just super negative. And if you're like, not me, I've never been negative in my life. I, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we, have a, we have this just general practice of being super negative. I don't know why. There's a lot of psychological reasons why but I think that's a real problem. I had a parent of a student come up to me a couple of weeks ago and say, hey, thank you for, for the service and thank you for kind of leading with big energy. And I was like, it's the coffee and the ADHD. You know, like, I can't fix that. But they said, like, I, I said, I really think that the world life is hard 
And the church is about hope, right? And so like in my mind, everything should be pretty exciting in, in most realms within the church because it's, it's, a, it's a hopeful thing. Uh, but sometimes, I'll be honest, the modern church and our generation is uh, pretty bad about that. Pretty bad about that. I want to talk about joy, and I want to read this from James, the book of James. Take a real big guess who wrote James. James, yeah, they're all nervous because they're like, Paul? <laughs> Am I supposed to say Paul? No, actually, James wrote it. We think brother, the brother of Jesus, James. We don't really know. We know he calls himself James. This is the beginning of his letter, okay? And here, here's, an, and I say beginning because it starts with number one. He introduces himself. This is how we know, by the way, they didn't put titles on it when they had the letters. So the way we know who wrote it is because it says, from James, Pretty good intro, right? From James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel. Greetings. Stay there for just a second, Hannah. To the 12 tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel. You are probably familiar with Israel. You're probably familiar with modern Israel, which only semi-represents historical ancient Israel. But did you know there were 12 tribes? Yeah, there are 12 tribes that traveled around. They entered into the promised Try it again. To enter into the promised. Yes, so they entered into the promised land and then they were conquered a few times by different groups and they were dispersed. We call that the diaspora. That's the very fancy word for it. But the 12 tribes who were scattered outside the land of Israel. Now this is in the New Testament. So we know at this point that the 12 tribes are still scattered outside of the land of Israel. If you were in your homeland, which you are, most of you, and you were then scattered and conquered, what's your emotions? Kind of rough, yeah, kind of angry, kind of frustrated. This is gonna be important here because you want to be back in your homeland and you are not, right? So to the 12 tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel, greetings, exclamation point. There was no grammar back then. I mean, there was no punctuation back then, but we put it in in English. Okay, next slide. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. For what? Joy, next, yes. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And, next. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. I wanna talk about what joy is first. Because sometimes we have the tendency to, if, in fact, if I were to ask you right now to define joy, you might define it as happiness. That's a term that's often used to define joy. We draw this equation together with them, right? Joy, happiness, kind of the same thing. And I actually think there, there's, there's a more active way to think about this because I think happiness is more of a state of being and joy ends up being a response. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, we're going to go back to James 1. This is the very first uh, uh, sorry, yeah, there we go. From James, the slave of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the 12 tribes who are scattered around outside the land of Israel. Greetings, what's our emotions as the 12 tribes? Anger, yeah, frustration. Okay, next. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. Yes, as occasions for joy. Think of the things that you're, being, you're struggling with. Put yourself where they are. They were in their homeland now they're not, right? 
Think of those things as occasions for joy. The word that's used here, this is a kind of a nerd moment here. The word that's used here is a word called charon. Say charon, it's going to be here in the Greek in just a second. No, go, uh, you'll have to go forward a little bit. You'll see like a funny looking word, and then that's going to be it. I believe me, it's going to be here. Ka- ah, hey, hey, give it up for Hannah on the slides. Um, charon, say charon. You probably didn't think that was how it's pronounced, because it looks like sarpav, right? Yeah, no, this is the Greek, charon. Can you say charon? Karan, yeah, it's a, it's a different form of the word kara, which just means joy. So one of the things I would encourage you to do, if you're interested, if you're a nerd like I am, to go when you go to read the scripture, and there's kind of a key word there, right? There's a word that uh, maybe you've seen a bunch of times, or maybe it just kind of, he's calling you to do something. I'd encourage you to write this down and kind of think through this when you study the scriptures. Because when you study the scriptures, these words appear meant multiple times, and they didn't first appear in English. And so you might want to go back and see where else they appear. There's a couple of places they, they appear, a, this word appears a bunch in the New Testament. But I want to show you a couple of them. This is from Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter starting with uh, verse nine. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Who's the child? Yeah, okay, you're familiar with this story, yes. Where the child was. When they saw the star, they were over... Yeah, the word here is Charon. On on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. We'll keep going. This is in Luke 2, chapter 2, this next section, Hannah, starting in verse 8. And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. As an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were... Terrified, yes, some translations say much afraid or they were very afraid. You've probably heard this uh, reading before in like some sort of big Christmas pageant, right? If you've been to Disney's Candlelight, this is what they read, right? They were sore afraid, some translations say. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, Here's the thing that we learn if we look at every single place that this word is used in the scriptures. It's always a response to something. It's always a response to something. In these cases and in every other case except the one I'm gonna talk about in James, it's always a response to something amazing, something really good that happens. It's always a response to that. It's something that we we can't owe it overwhelms us. We can't decide not to to respond that way, right? It's overwhelming because we are amazed at the coming of the Lord. They saw the star in the sky and it showed them where to go. So they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Yeah. That's what we see here. I want to go back to uh, the James passage here for a second, Hannah. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, though. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. I told you in the other times, you see this kind of response to amazingness, this response to goodness, this response to something awesome. And then their response is overwhelming joy overwhelming joy. What's interesting in here, though, is he says, consider it 
pure joy when you face trials and tribulations. Hey, you people that have been dispersed into places that are not your homeland, where you feel very uncomfortable, frustrated, angry, upset, fearful, all of those words we could use. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. You know what's interesting about this passage as compared to all the other places where Quran is used? It's because it actually has a little bit of a choice built in. It has a little bit of a choice built in. And when I started researching this, that's what really hit me. Because so often in our lives, we don't choose joy. We just don't. When something bad happens to us, our tendency, and some of us are better at it than others, our tendency is to milk that for all it's worth. Oh no, poor me. If you were here the week I gave a sermon called Holy Resilience. During that sermon, I kind of built you up for a little bit and I told you that, hey, your generation is actually gonna be really far ahead because you were honest about mental health from the very beginning. Do you remember this? Some of you remember this? Uh, So that was really good. But then I encouraged you right at the end, slash challenged you right at the end, to maybe take another step for a second because we have a tendency as the modern church and a modern generation to just be super negative about everything. Sometimes we even place the blame on things other than ourselves, right? Oh no, poor me, ma, ma, ma. Let me encourage you. That is not what James is calling for here. What James is saying is when you face trials and tribulations, and listen, I know that that professor sucks, right? I know that that class is really hard. I know that it's not fair. I know that it's not fair that your friend won't text you back. I get all that. I know all of those things. But let me tell you, you are not in the diaspora of the 12 tribes, okay? Your your problems are so much smaller than what he's talking to here. And what he says is consider it pure joy, my friends, because those things are going to build you up. They're going to make you more whole. They're going to make you stronger. It's a little bit of this, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Okay? That's what he's saying. Now, I don't want you to go too far into what I would call toxic positivity. Okay? And that's, you know, what your response is right now, which is like, well, you can't just be happy about everything. And so let me talk about one of my favorite films of all time, which is Inside Out. Anybody a fan of Inside Out? Yeah, who's, who's this character right here? Joy, and who's this character? Sadness, yes. If you're not familiar with Inside Out, let me just kind of give you an update. They, this, these are uh, five different characters. Joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. And they are inside of Riley's head. Riley is a 12-year-old little girl who has just moved across the country, and they are having control over the emotions in her mind. And Joy is kind of the leader because she's, you know, the happiest, I guess. She's the leader, and she's very concerned with all of what they call core memories, these central memories to who Riley is being joyful, right? And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, in, in case 
depending on how you see the plot, uh, joy and sadness end up on a journey together, and joy's trying to protect all of those core memories, but sadness always like sort of half touches them, and all of a sudden Riley remembers that things are sad. So let, let me just say, I want to take a pause here, that the toxic positivity that I think your brain is going toward is not what we're talking about here. In fact, the whole point of Inside Out, and this is uh, really based in, in modern psychology too, is that joy and sadness kind of learn about each other, and, and joy figures out over the course of time that it's okay for Riley to be a little sad. And I really think that's super healthy and super good. And in fact, later on, they finally realize that it doesn't just have to be joy or sadness, that certain memories have both combined, which I think is really powerful as well. So I don't, want to, I don't want you to think that everything is just wrapped up in joy. I don't want you to hear me saying, or James saying, because I didn't write it, that just whatever is going wrong, just consider it, just, just be happy about it. No, 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 no. Remember, joy is a response, and it's a choice. And he's saying those trials and tribulations that you're going through, those difficulties that you're going through, man, you have the ability to choose to say, this is gonna make me bigger. This is gonna make me stronger. This is going to make me more whole, is what he says. And that's something I think we really need to hear. Because it's so easy for us to get frustrated in the middle of something that didn't seem fair to us, didn't seem, didn't seem like we had a chance, didn't, didn't seem like we were gonna win, which was a little bit last night, and I'm being dead serious here. We were down 13-0, and our star player got like immeasurably hurt, like carted off into an ambulance into the TMH. And I've, I read Facebook, I read Twitter, a bunch of Seminole fans didn't have a lot of faith in the Knolls. What was the final score last night? 58-13. Because a second-string quarterback, who, by the way, would start at a lot of other schools, came in, took him a few minutes to get his feet on the ground, and then he came in strong. And boy, he could throw that ball fast. Too fast for some of our receivers. And I was thinking about this last night. I mean, of course, I'm like, I'm gonna prep this, but... I'm thinking, man, it's real easy to see, well, that's the end of the Seminole season. Or is it? Because we have a remarkable team. We got our stars for sure, but we have a remarkable team that all got an opportunity to take it to the next level. What's-his-face got his first touchdown last night? And what's his name? What's his name? Brock. Brock, yeah, Brock. And, and Jordan celebrated in the hospital. Our team got an opportunity to see the wholeness. And I guarantee you that's the same speech that Mike gave them in the locker room. You guys are way more than Jordan Travis. Find it joy. I think that's the encouragement that we all need. In the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our disgust, in the midst of our anger, 
We need to choose to be joyful. Let me encourage you one more thing as we enter into the Christmas season, because when you come back, we're not going to have service next week, but we will have uh, service the week after, and it'll be into the Advent season, heading up to Christmas. We'll sing some Christmas songs, and we'll be super Christmassy. But here's the deal. Christians, we're known as people of joy. What are the songs we sing? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We're people who emit a radiance of joy because we know that there's hope on the other side. We know the future because we believe in a God who came not only and died for us, but rose again because sin doesn't have the final word. Are you with me? Like, we believe in that next part of the story, and so therefore we radiate joy. So why is it then that we all walk around like this? Instead, what could it be that if we see something that goes wrong in our life, something that doesn't seem fair, that we would just see that maybe as an opportunity to grow? Could we see it that way? Could we see it as an opportunity for us to maybe take the next step? And if it is an injustice, then we maybe make some moves to replace and fix that injustice. I'm not saying just let it be rolled over, but what I am saying is that you could choose that next attitude. You could choose to be joyful when the world is telling you not to be, when your friends are telling you not to to be, when honestly the modern church is telling you not to be, you could then choose a better attitude. That's what I pray over you, that we would choose that together as a family, that you would choose that individually in your own life, that you would be happy and joyful because that's how we are to be known. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.